Hi guys, today is joined on the podcast by Andy Gibson. Andy is part of the Crusaders Rugby Global Academy. We had a really interesting chat about what separates players and coaches at the top level, how to deal with being dropped from teams and much more. Enjoy. So you're involved with the Crusaders um, Academy, am I right in that? Yeah, so we, we this is our first year we've set it up and we're a global uh, sports or rugby academy that we've built a partnership with the University of Wollongong um, about an hour south of Sydney and was due to start two years ago. COVID impacted the start of that, and, um, but we kicked off this year and um, had a pretty successful year so far. We've got about sort of seven weeks left in the program before the, the guys go away for summer. Nice. So... Is that then the players are just from Australia? They're not travelling from New Zealand? Uh, so, yeah, currently, right at the start of the year, they were all Australian players. Well, they're Australian um, living players. They've all got Kiwi sort of um, attachments through family and et cetera. Mm. But the way that the, the program's set up is it's the partnership with the uni. So... Uh, the players have to be enrolled in the university and, and to be aiming towards some academic qualifications and they pay to be a part of our program. So they're not necessarily scouted uh, mm. to join us. And the, the idea of the university wanting to set it up originally was to bring international students into mm. the, the university and to bring students from the, the greater Sydney area um, down to Wollongong um, where they'd struggled to, to sort of bring bring guys down there to to go to university so that's it's pretty cool and we've already got two international students that have joined us from a, a club in Italy oh, cool. uh, which is which is pretty special way eh, to just mm. learn how their culture operates and what their rugby is all about and they've added a lot already to the the rest of the guys yeah how do you find it coaching players with different backgrounds yeah well it's probably the first thing you've got to be aware of when you're coaching um, players is, is coach the people and find out a little bit about what what makes them tick. Like for for us in the academy, we've got a variety of different different talents, uh, different backgrounds as to what they've grown up playing. Like a, a couple of our guys who grew up playing league, um, some have, have played rugby their whole whole life, and and others have picked it up within the last year or two. So it's just figuring out what their needs are and intertwining that with our within our sessions. It it is challenging um, for sure. But we do a lot of uh, one-on-one skill development or partner skill development, so we can sort of pair people up with the with the kids that have got the the skill set closest to them, so they're challenging and, and growing themselves, um, as well as extending their ability against for a, a perceived weaker player to be challenging themselves against a stronger player and encouraging the stronger players to help and grow the younger the younger um, and less experienced players as well. Which is which has been quite a cool cool process, and the the more experienced players have still got a lot out of it. Um, working with the the less experienced players because they've been able to grow their so called coaching um, along with that, and they can articulate it and go through it with their the way that they're explaining and demonstrating as well as doing, and that's sort of connecting a lot of dots um, for yeah. them with their development. Yeah, yeah. So, do you get a lot of um, sort of varying skill levels then, or is it all yeah. yeah, it is. It's these massive divides and and skill set. But the interesting thing is, every one of those players has a strength, and it's not a strength that the other players have. 
So, you know, we've got a player that's new to the sport, two years into the sport, but he's the fastest in the in the team. He's got the, the greatest ability to beat players one-on-one. And then on the other spectrum, we've got a guy that that's definitely not a strength of his, but his ability to get off the line and, and dominate contact yeah. is a strength of his. Um, so, you know, they're learning off each other and, and um, that's the cool thing about being in an academy and especially a, a global sport uh, rugby academy. We've got those varying differences where, you know, you go into an academy like the Crusaders um, professional academy back home and everyone's, you know, they're at the top of their game for their age group and they're, you know, moulding them into a, a rugby player to perform at the professional game. Whereas, you know, we've got some guys that are potentially on that pathway and some guys that just absolutely love the sport and want to be in and around rugby as much as they possibly can so they can enjoy it more on mm-hmm. their Saturdays. Not necessarily looking to play at a professional level, but to be the best player they can be. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, I'm interested to hear what's your sort of story as a coach? Like, how did you get into it? Did you Were you a player before? Yeah, so I grew up... St- um, point that I could. I think I might have been four and a half, five years old playing playing touch rugby um, as a young fella. And like my family's had a massive history in rugby. Both my dad and, and granddad played for Canterbury um, mm. back in in the seventies and, and then back in the fifties as well. So there's been a lot of um, a lot of rugby in my life, and I just grew up being surrounded by it and wanted to get involved in it. So as soon as I could actually get on a field. I was nagging dad to, to take me down to the local rugby club and and, and played a, all the way through my juniors up until high school and, and then went to Christchurch Boys High, which is known as the, the factory in New Zealand for producing All Blacks. Um, really special, special time there. I never was in the A teams um, going through. It was sort of in the C, B teams. Um, probably the highlight for me was, was going to the under-15 national tournament uh, where we came second. Um, just as a sort of a wider squad member, got a few games, but they're pretty special memories going on tour. Um, and then I developed um, a little bit later on. So it's a bit weird for me. So I ended up going to America to play American football for a year in my last year of high school. And um, from that, spent a, a couple of sessions working with the junior varsity football team, doing some coaching. And that sort of sparked a little bit of... Um, passion for for what could be a career in coaching and and coming back to New Zealand just figuring out what I was going to do for a for a career or go to university what was I going to study and landed on a sport coaching degree at Canterbury University so ended up doing three years there and and being a part of that course you obviously had to go out and coach and um, spent time at St Andrews um, Christchurch Boys High um, and developed my coaching through the age grades there and started off at under 14s, 15s, uh, up to second 15. So had a, had a good variety of, of different different teams, different abilities, different cultures uh, while you're coaching and made a hell of a lot of mistakes and cringe at the thought of what I was doing back then. But that's all part of part of being a, being a coach and looking back, um, every every single coach has probably had those those thoughts. And then um, I was really lucky. We had an internship that we had to do through university and I reached out to Tabai Matson, who was the Canterbury NPC head coach at the time and um, went in there for eight weeks to sort of help him out and 
in an area where um, he didn't need to spend some time, but got a lot of value out of what I was able to help with. So basically collated all their player review um, sheets that they would do every week and, and put them into a document so that he could um, have it all collated in one spot. And I guess part of being in that environment doing that task that was pretty mundane at the time got to learn a little bit about how they reviewed with players because I'm soaking up the information from what the players view and, and what the coaches are are seeing and saying to players as well as being around their training environment and going to games and, and seeing the week um, come to fruition right at the end um, on game day which was awesome so um, from there, I, I met Scott Hansen, who's actually now the Crusaders attack coach. He's also with Japan, and he got me along to the club that he was the director of rugby for and spent two years uh, coaching with him. So first year as an assistant coach um, at first grade level um, as a 20-year-old, and then the, the next year I was uh, head coach. He'd taken up a job with the Leicester Tigers. So um, two years being thrown into the into the mixer, um, with Richie Moonga as our first five, as a, a young 19-year-old trying to crack it into the NPC where he already had the year before and he did most of the coaching, to be honest, that year. Um, and then from there, went to Melbourne University for a season, uh, came back and spent five years coaching in uh, our Premier First 15 competition um, back home at, at one school for three years and then um, spent two years at, back at Christchurch Boys High coaching the first 15, which is pretty special because I never got to to play for the first 15, but to go back and lead that program um, for two years was was pretty special for me and didn't quite get the results we wanted. Lost the final the first year and the second year, we just missed out on the semis, but I uh, met some pretty awesome people there and um, it also gave me an opportunity outside of that to coach in the Crusaders uh, junior environment so he did five years coaching um, through their under 18 program which was a, a one-week camp and we went and played the Hurricanes and, and Chiefs um, on different years Highlanders um, the last two years uh, did Canterbury B so I've done, I've done a, a bunch of different mm. different teams and, and kept myself in touch with the the high performance area of, of Canterbury and the Crusaders and it's led me to to this job and, and been given the opportunity to come over and lead the program in Wollongong um, under the Crusaders banner and um, which is it's pretty awesome being able to to coach the Crusaders ethos and 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 develop my coaching full time. Um, also coaching Eastern Suburbs first uh, first grade side which is in the shoot shield. Uh, alongside it so it gives me that opportunity to work with developing athletes and and more of a skill-based um, individual program and then work with a team as well and and actually build through a competition and they're two completely different sort of coaching styles so being able to have both of those in one year is is pretty vital for me moving forward obviously as I want to move up the ranks into professional footy yeah yeah um what do you think is the biggest difference between young coaches and sort of those like old big name coaches that you've worked with? The older coaches or more experienced coaches take time to develop their relationships before they coach. And they often 
are more comfortable with themselves as a person. I think when you're a younger coach, and I, and I know this, and I still do it at times, you pull yourself up on, but definitely when I was younger, you walk around thinking you know everything or you're expected to know everything. You go to a training session and you get asked questions and and it's all coach-led. But as you, as you move through, it becomes more and more important, especially the higher you go in your coaching, to empower those athletes to drive what they see fit and guide them through that process and and not be afraid to sit there in a review and get, and get a question asked of you and just go, actually, I don't know, boys, what do you think? Mm. And showing that vulnerability as a coach is actually really important to building rapport with them. And coaches, uh, sorry, players, will they see through the bullshit. But they know when you're lying. They know uh, when you're not quite quite telling the truth and you're um, unsure of something. So to be more honest about your, your viewpoint or just not knowing something, they respect that. And in turn, it allows them to drive and guide um, the team where they want to get to. Like, for example, for us with, with Eastern Suburbs this year, we have our back strikes and I send them all the pictures and set pieces and, and give that to them and go, right, you design what our, our strike menu is going to be for the week. And if it means that we have to develop a new strike for that, we'll talk about that. And let's have that conversation. Um, but then when you go out to the field, they lead all that. I'm just there to pick up on the minor um, intricacies of that that strike or a little bit of detail from a player to make it work more successful. But they're driving the the passion for it and the the intensity and the purpose, and it becomes something that they are really passionate about being successful with because they've drawn it up and they've they've lived and breathed it right from the start. And um, you know, definitely we can be doing more of that, but you know, new coaches want to come in and they've got the playbook. Going back to your question, older coaches have more experience and, and lean off the players more, I feel. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, how how do you go about selecting players? It's hard. Sometimes you, you've got what you've got. And... You know, one of the challenges we found this year coming into Eastern Suburbs was we did not know a single player. And, you know, we'd watched some some game footage and, and made some assumptions and, and observations coming in off, off what had been there last year. But, you know, we came in and changed a lot. Mm. We wanted to play a different style of rugby because it was unique to this competition over here. And so it required a different skill set. And... You know, some guys just had not been given the feedback before that we were looking for, just purely because the style was different. Um, for, for me, combinations are key. So, you know, if you've got a nine and a ten that's worked well together for a number of years, there's a reason for that, and it's probably because they've they're able to communicate without communicating. If that makes sense, yeah. They're um they're able to communicate with less words or with just a wee look or, you know, they've got they've got more capabilities to be successful together. So where we can manipulate that within our season, we try to do that. It's not always the case. Sometimes you know one of those um, players is just isn't good enough. Um, as you know, their combination might be strong, but you know that's that's one thing we try to look for combinations. Um, obviously, all out 
expector in, in certain positions. You know, we want our wingers to to be fast, um, but we don't want both to be extremely fast. We want one to be a power winger because it gives us variety in our in our game. Um, but you know, one of the challenges here in Australia is they don't pick fresh benches. So you've got your starting fifteen, and and you might have one or two guys in key positions that are fresh on your bench, but the rest of the guys play for the the second 15 underneath you and being able to select guys that are going to come on and add value mm. and depending on what their skill set is and what you feel you need is, is really challenging and it's it's not a, I don't think there's really a, a rule book around how we select um, and it might be different each week like you know I think back to there was a, a key point in the season where we really wanted our wingers to come off their wing and engage and play off our tens and look for little seams um, on the inside. And so we that week selected players on the wing that actively did that without being told, like it was a natural ability for them. Whereas other weeks we wanted our wingers to hold out in the 15s and we just wanted power wingers that just carried hard over the game line and, and were tough in tough situations. And so we selected like that. When you don't have that luxury it becomes, uh, you know, what you've got and you've got to build a, a game plan around that skill set. Mm. Um, we, were, we were pretty lucky that we were able to to pick guys on some weeks because of the way we wanted to play and we had some guys with different skill sets, but it wasn't always the case. Yeah. You must have had quite a lot of very awkward conversations over your coaching career with players. How, how do you yes. go about that? Two really uh, challenging conversations. I, I think awkward's a hundred percent. They are awkward. They're probably the most challenging conversations you have because you're dealing with human emotion. And mm. like I, you know, we're human as well as coaches. We're not immune to to the reaction of players. And it's probably two that come to my mind. And um, one was last year as coaching at first 15 and we were, were building up to play cross college and the biggest game of the year. It's like, you know, the World Cup final for these guys. And we had to, we felt that we needed to drop a certain player leading into that game. And, um, you know, he'd played consistently, whether he's starting or coming off the bench leading up to that and, and didn't see it coming. Um, and, you know, we, I still stand by the decision that it was the right decision um, for what we needed and the skill set that we required, et cetera. But, you know, having to, to break that to a player um, and the reaction that we got out of him, you know, it really hurts. You know, like we feel, feel for him. But at the end of the day, um, as a coach, you have to remove, like you can show empathy towards that player and that, that's a different, um, different part to to sitting back and going, oh, I'm not going to have that conversation because it's going to hurt that player. Like, yeah. you know, I I knew it was going to be tough for him. Um, it was going to be tough for me having that conversation and that's the empathy part to it. But at the same time, I had to make a decision that was best for the team. And, um, you know, he I don't he didn't understand that at the time. And, and, you know, why would any player that's, you know, going into a game that they want to be playing a part of and, and they've been dropped. So, you know, they're tough. Um, but as you as you go through and have more conversations over the, the coming weeks and stuff, they can begin to to understand it. They may not agree with it, um, but understand. It. And as long as you're being fair in your process, um, that's all you can do as a coach. 
probably the other one for me this year was we, we had a winger that we decided to drop and it was the player I mentioned before where we, we wanted a winger that would work off the ball and that's not a skill set that he that he showed at the time so we went with someone else really tough conversation um, he's an older player in the club he's been around a number of years and he's he demands explanation um, and you had to have your ducks in a row you know you had to have your reasoning as to why were we doing this what was the benefit for it and what, what why was the team going to be successful because of that and Rightly so, you know, he was pissed off for probably a good month to six weeks and played second 15 for us for, for those weeks and um, probably didn't handle it that well at the time and eventually started to, to put that behind him, started playing really well. Um, we picked him again and his season was outstanding from that point. Mm. Um, and, then, and, and, and then that whole time he was thinking about himself and not the team. And then, you know, coming into the back end of the season, there was a moment where one of our midfielders was out. And we said to him, do you want to go into the midfield, which is his perceived um, preferred position? Or do you want to stay on the wing? It's just for one week. Um, like We'll leave that decision for you. And he said, no, nah, let me just take some time to think about it. About half an hour, an hour later, he came back to me and said, no, I'm going to stay on the wing because I think the team needs cohesion. I want to be playing 13, but I know the team wants to be, uh, I know the team needs me to be on the wing. And it's only for one week. Massive amount of respect for him because two months earlier than that, he was hardly speaking to me because he was pissed off at the decision. But because of the honesty that I had given him, and then his reflection on how he reacted and want, where he wanted to be, you know, it, it got to a point where he, when he finally got back into that group, he wanted to do what was best for the team. Mm. And then it ultimately allowed him to make that decision, um, you know, six weeks later that was, gave me the most respect for that player, um, you know, going forward. And I think if, if, as a coach, I had gone in and, and been a little bit untruthful and not given him the full picture that would have broken the relationship to a point where he wouldn't have wanted to perform for the team and for us as coaches. And we wouldn't have had these decisions being made for, by him that are for the team that will give us success later in the season. So it's just so important to have transparency with, with the athlete. And um, at the end of the day, you know, they'll respect you for being honest. They may still not accept the decision, but they're two different different areas. Yep. Would you say you know your biggest strengths and weaknesses? Say that again, sorry? Would, would you say you know your biggest strengths and weaknesses? Mine? Yeah. Yeah. We've had, uh, I've done a lot of work around um, self-reflection. I've done uh, a, a program called the, the Hogan Project through Jimmy Sinclair back in um, Canterbury. And it essentially gives you a, a personality profile and what your what the implications are of you and your leadership style, depending on, on how you score. And it was it was eye-opening in the fact that it's there written for you. But when you look at it deep down, it's not that eye-opening. Like you kind of know that it's there, but it's in the back of your mind. But to see it there written down really clearly, um, how you're perceived by people, um, what your 
um, tendencies are as a coach in a leadership role. You know, it builds a really good plan for me going forward as to what I need to work on um, to allow athletes to be more comfortable and more successful for the group. And so I can build, you know, more rapport with them and get more out of the guys um, so they can develop and move on to, to higher ranks or for the team itself just to become more successful. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time on that. And it's probably something that when I was a younger coach, I didn't spend a lot of time on. Um, and I wish I had back then, but it's something that you, you learn as you get older, obviously. Yeah. Why, why are you a coach? I love developing people. I love seeing change in their skill set and their behavior um, on the field, the way that they pre- prepare for the week and having a part to play and guiding them in that in that way. Like I think, you know, as a coach, you're there to to unlock their potential. And, you know, they're only going to develop if they want to develop. You can't just come in as this outstanding coach and expect people to to develop without them wanting to. And I think, um, you know, that light bulb moment where, you know, you work with them to unlock that potential, they go out there and, and work really hard and then see that development growth through games and get success out of it. Like those moments there are, are so special and hearing players through our reviews over the last two weeks after our season saying, this was the best season I've ever had. Enjoyment wise, um, the growth, you know, you guys have challenged us. Yep, it's been tough. But those moments there are why I coach. You know, I could be coaching at a at a school under 14 level and still be getting the same amount of enjoyment that I am um coaching as a semi-professional coach um in the shoot shield because yeah. the the reasons why I do what I do are the same no matter what level I'm at. Um and it and I just get a massive amount of enjoyment out of seeing those athletes grow and see the growth in themselves and and um it's really powerful you know i think um you know as a coach you talk a lot about the rugby skills on the grass stuff but it's also that off field part of their life that you know i also get quite a bit of enjoyment out of and and you know especially down in wollongong in our academy you know, these kids are out of school for the first time. Uh, they're away from home. They're having to deal with their own food, um, their own finances, study, managing our program, their club program, girlfriends, family, work. There's a lot going on. And to be able to to help and influence what they're doing off the field, just as, as coaches, um, understanding that, you know, like I started this, this podcast, they're all people. Mm. And it's not just the rugby part that we're coaching. There's a lot of lessons that they learn through the adversity or setbacks or successes that they get on the rugby field that transfers into their professional life um, or to their um, social and family life as well. Does does the effect something you see can have on someone's life stress you out? That's all. (laughs) Yes. Every day is a stress as a coach. Every day is a stress. I mean, I get quite invested in in my players, and I want want them to succeed. And you know, when you see see players not giving their all, it's I wouldn't say stresses you out, but it causes a bit of frustration. It's like 
you've shown you've shown that you can work really hard. We need you to just do a little bit more and do it for yourself, not not just for for people around you and whatnot. And and I think um, you know trying to get them to to harness that more often um, because they've got all the tools to be successful. And when they don't utilize all those tools and and make mistakes, um, yeah, it can be a bit. I guess a bit stressful, but um, that's that's part of part of the journey, right? Yeah, You've got to have a bit of stress and a bit of pressure to to create success, and it's how you deal with it. You know, as coaches, you go into this game knowing, you know, results and and player performance and all that stuff comes back to the coaches when it's not going well, and it's it's all on the players when it's going really well. So, yeah. um, you just got to have tools to to deal with it. Have you ever had a period where? Um, people are questioning like why you aren't getting results or why people aren't performing well absolutely like you, you, you are and it depends you know how active your board is so over at East they're very active they want to know know everything they want uh, the the reason why we're not being successful why do we do this etc and creates a lot of pressure and um, but it's actually a good thing because it means that they care. And as a coach, it forces you to really look at what's going on and how do we pull ourselves out of this rut. Like, for example, this year we lost five on the, in a row right in the middle of the season and we were losing by three points. Mm. We were losing by two points. We were losing on full time. And, you know, it wasn't that we were that far off. Like, we were literally like a play away from winning all five games and being the top team in the competition. Um, but because our type of comp was, we're down at eight. So, you know, I think as a as a coach, you really just got to look at um, what other things that you can influence now. There are parts of your, your team environment or the processes around when the constraints that you've been set that you can't change. And there's no point worrying about that now. There are things you can fix in the off-season for next year, but what can you fix now that's going to make a really good impact the critical you know two three things that are going to have an impact on next week's performance and sticking really true to that and having a plan around it that starts with your monday training flows all the way through your your field sessions and then that's what you review from saturday because if you get stuck looking at random things every week you're never going to see growth you've it's got to be the critical couple of things that that need you need to get right as a group to move forward and um, we managed to do that. We managed to crawl ourselves out of a deep hole um, during the year. And the thing for us that we found was our scrum and our line-out wasn't functioning. So we never got top quality ball. Um, it didn't function when it was functioning. It didn't function at the right areas of the field to apply pressure. So we had to rely on the backs and we had a review meeting and said, right, how are we going to win games and influence the game because we're not going to get scrum and line out ball where you love to attack. What are we going to do? And we came up with the idea that our counter attack needed to become such a weapon that we relied on to win games. And so all of our back sessions, uh, we spent a lot of time when we went 15 v 15 against the, the second 15 around our kick strategy and our counter attack plan so that we, we use that to generate momentum to score points or to create pressure that turned into penalties that gave us better opportunities. So um, that was a, 
that was probably one of the light bulb moments in the year um, that got us moving forward. And it just came back to well, what's the most important now? We can't solve one issue. Let's create an opportunity uh, out of the skill set that we've got. And we ended up the most lethal counterattack in the competition because of that. And it got us to the front and line out wasn't functioning and teams just tipped three points over with the scoreboard pressure um, got to us. But for us to get to that point was was pretty remarkable, to be honest. Um, and it, like you just back to your original question, it just came right back to, um, yeah, we've got pressure, we're not winning. What's the critical two or three things that we can influence going forward that we can measure to get success? And if we don't get success on the scoreboard, we still can get success in those areas of our game and feel good about what we're trying to achieve. Yep, I like that. Um, final one, what would you say to a young rugby player? Advice? To a young rugby player, soak up as much information as you can, but filter out what's important for you. Okay. Like so what I, mean, what I mean by that is, you know, there are a lot of coaches out there, there's a lot of people that are in your court or in, perceived to be in your court um, that are help you out. But firstly, you need to know what your strengths are and really grow that. But you need to filter out what's important for you because you can't work on 10 things in a year. You can probably work on two or three really key things that you think are, are important for you to become a better rugby player, whether that's on field or off the field. Um, and once you become really good at those things, you can start to attack the next stuff. But be really focused on a couple of things for a period of time, um, yeah. you'll get overwhelmed, and, and you'll you won't you won't see the growth you need out of it. 